up to 30. <laughs> the magic of television. How about I pray as we begin? Thank you, Father, for making yourself known to us and showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. Teach us through your word and equip us for every good work, for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Rob. All right, so today we're reading from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Morning again, everyone. Please do keep your Bibles open. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you're the God who speaks and you speak to us in your word, the Bible. Please, Father, this morning as we uh, tremble and rejoice at your word, uh, keep us free from distraction and hindrance, and that we might uh, learn and take to heart what it is you will teach us, and on account of that process, we'd become more like our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So you're sitting on a train, reading your Bible as you do, and uh, a random stranger comes and taps you on the shoulder. Says, "Look, I'm sorry. I just I can't help but notice you're reading the Bible. Um, I, I've often thought about reading the Bible because I know it's about Jesus, um, and I'm you know a little bit intrigued. But who is he really? And you know, is it worth me checking him out?" And at one of the same time, you've got two contrasting thoughts. One is, this is wonderful. Right? Hey, maybe I can grow our family, you know, and tell them the gospel. But uh, that thought is short-lived because just as they're asking you, the train pulls up at the platform that you're getting off at, right? So you're about to be getting off. And for the sake of this illustration, no, you can't give them your Bible and you can't stay on the train and they can't come up, right? You've basically got one sentence. You've got one shot to use the famed words of uh, rapper Eminem, who was talking about this, obviously. You've got one shot. What are you going to say about who Jesus kind of really is at his core? And what's going to intrigue these people? And that's problematic for, uh, for hopefully all of us because, well, there's so many things you can say about our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, he's the Son of God. He's sinless. He's the most... Uh, uh, important or written about man in, in the history of, of humanity. He's holy. He's the saviour of the world. He's the only person who can enable us to survive the day of judgment. What of all the things that you could say about Jesus, and you've only got one shot, what is it that you're going to sort of hold up as the thing? Uh, and that actually speaks volumes as to, to how we actually think about Jesus uh, you know, it, it's a bit of a litmus test. What are you going to put at the top of the things that you could say about Jesus if you only got to say, you know, one sentence or one doors closing worth of, of, of stuff about Jesus? 
Now, I'm going to um, steal my own thunder here. You've probably worked out, especially if you've been listening over the last few weeks, that my answer is that it should be that Jesus is gentle and lowly, or gentle and humble, as our modern translations have in the second last verse of our text for today. Right? I feel a bit silly saying, what's it going to be, when it's kind of like obvious that that's where I'm going to go with the whole sermon. I even told you guys a couple of weeks ago, I think the best Christian book ever written is, happens to be called Gentle and Lowly, based on this section of the Scriptures. But why that's the case, and how we get there, well, that's where this little beautiful part of Matthew's Gospel is going to take us this morning. So I hope you're on board, uh, even though I've stolen my own thunder. Now, by way of context, hopefully you remember that Jesus and his 12 recently chosen apostles were on a mission to reconstitute God's people Israel. They brought the extraordinary announcement that God's kingdom was finally at hand and Jesus gave them even supernatural authority to do the kinds of signs that, that, that show the, the nature, the character of the kingdom. But as we then saw last week, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. And the Gospel writer Matthew wants to explain to us why such large-scale rejection had taken place. And the way he does that is by recording some of the teachings that Jesus gave throughout that period of mission. And so we read in verse 25, at that time, or, or quite literally in that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. The reasons that the towns Jesus visited, by and large, do not repent is that entry into God's kingdom doesn't happen through human intelligence, but through God's revelation. As a matter of fact, all three of these sayings are about God's revelation. It's not a matter of intellectually working out the truth as if we get to God by our efforts in reason, but of humbly receiving the truth. God is the sovereign author of salvation. He chooses to whom he will reveal his truth, which is the truth. Now, of course, God's revealed truth is thoroughly rational and can be understood and, and assessed intellectually, and I hope that's something that we all do. God wants us to love him with all our mind and be renewed by the transformation of our mind and to take thoughts captive to Christ and to meditate upon his word. God gave us brains and he wants us to use them, but the attitude comes first. If you think you're a self-sufficient adult who can reason your way into heaven, you're far out of step with the God who delights to reveal himself to humble, dependent, trusting people, people like little children. As a matter of fact, Jesus would teach that unless you become humble and dependent like a little child, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And that's why, brothers and sisters, for that friend or that family member who's not yet saved, the number one priority for them is prayer. Now, a close second is, of course, an opportunity to share the gospel and convince them of the truth that Jesus is Lord. And you've got a great opportunity in EC starting this Thursday. Think about that person. But prayer is the number one priority 
in evangelism, for God alone chooses those to whom he'll reveal himself. Uh, funny little story, I, it's a true story. I know of a couple, uh, I won't tell you the names, but they are Mr. and Mrs., they, they got married. But uh, the way they kind of started dating was he was a follower of Jesus and she was not. And she was keen on him and she says, how about it? And he says, oh, you're lovely, but I'm so sorry, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's, it's not right for me to date someone who's, who's not a Christian. And she said rather divine, well, I'll just become a Christian then, simple. And he said, actually, it's not because God chooses those he's going to save. And what a load of rubbish, as if that's what the Bible says. And so she took a Bible and spent time reading it. And after a couple of weeks, she went, actually, that is what the Bible says. But, you know, I think I agree with it. And I think I am a follower of Jesus. It was one of those rare occurrences where the doctrine of God's election and predestination actually resulted in a conversion. They're now happily married. It's no surprise to us that as God alone is the one who chooses to whom he'll reveal himself, that of course Jesus, God the Son, is also equally sovereign in revelation. In fact, the Father's choice is those whom the Son chooses. So verse 27, our second saying, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's like you're really grateful those last few words are on that sentence, right? So those God chooses to save can rightly be described as both little children and as those the Son chooses to give the revelation of the Father. The reason you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour is because you came to God the Father like a humble child. And the reason you came to him like a humble child is because Jesus chose to reveal his Father to you. No amount of theorising or investigating the world or contemplative meditation ever gets anyone into a saving relationship with God. People can't be argued into the kingdom. It's only if God chooses to reveal himself to someone that they come to know him. And all possible revelation of the Father has been committed to the sovereign choice of God the Son. I once, um, many years ago, actually I was dawn knocking in um, Gregory Hills and I, I spoke to a lovely Hindu man who gladly accepted Jesus Christ as being fully divine. But of course, he considered Jesus to be one God among many. And I was sad and frustrated because he was well ahead of the average, you know, irreligious Australian. I mean, he knew Jesus was the Christ and, and, and considered him divine. But he was still, of course, miles off because he didn't accept that the true and living God, in, in Hindu terms, perhaps the Brahman, if you like, has committed all things to only one Lord, namely Jesus. But assuming someone does come to the Father like a humble, dependent child, assuming someone does come to Jesus in the desperate hope that he 
chose to reveal God to them, what will they find? If you had to give it in a small Matthew Gospel-like saying, what will they find? Well, first of all, they will discover that salvation is not about coming to an idea. It's not about coming to a set of propositions. It's not about coming to a philosophy, but it's about coming to a person. It's first and foremost a relational thing, and we kind of do that all the time. We, we kind of, you know, have relationships with people. Also, well, it is with Jesus. Verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's coming to a person, and this shouldn't surprise us with our Old Testament glasses on uh, Jeremiah chapter 4, you've got Israel gone wayward and off the rails and God says, if you'll return, return to me, the person of God himself. Weary and burdened here in verse 28 means spiritual tiredness, spiritual sickness. We know it can't mean physical, I mean, who's physically tired this morning, right? Uh, you should all come to Jesus. Who's not physically tired? Oh, well, he's not for you. I mean, that's obviously ridiculous, right? Um, uh, and he even speaks in the next verse of rest for your souls. He's speaking of a spiritual sickness. The kind of thing that happens when we look for comfort, security, safety, satisfaction in the things of this world or, or satisfaction in and of ourselves. Nothing ever truly delivers. So we either end up weary and burdened or in the really rich parts of the world like ours, it's a bit worse, we kind of end up in this situation where we can afford to pay for enough propaganda and material distraction such that we don't even realise we are spiritually weary and burdened. But coming to Jesus is the only way to relieve genuine spiritual burden. And so he says in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now spend a little bit of time on this first. To me, it's the, uh, the central thing. This is the big thing. First of all, with the heart. In the Bible, the heart is the core of your essence or being. We often think of the heart as kind of like your emotional centre. And uh, you might have noticed that when we want to say things with great, extreme emphasis, either really negative or really positive in, in relational terms, we often hunt for a body part to use. See, you don't just make me sick. You make me sick to my stomach. I don't just love you. I love you with all my heart. See how that works? I'm so nervous. I've I, I got a lump in my throat. Get it? We find, but it, 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 we, what we're doing is we, we instinctively know that we kind of want to insert all of ourselves in this particular direction. We want to, well, well, that's what the heart is in the scripture. It's all of me and all of my being. It's why you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can just say it as heart and it's short for the other things, right? When Jesus talks about his heart, he's talking about his most central essence and at the core of his being Jesus isn't austere and demanding in heart he's not exalted and dignified 
in heart. He doesn't even say he's joyful and generous in heart. He says he's gentle and humble. Or in the older translations, gentle and lowly in heart. Now, can anyone think of another place in anywhere in the Bible where Jesus speaks about his heart, who he is at the core of his being? No, you can't. Because this is the only place in the scriptures where Jesus speaks about his heart, the core of his person and his being. To quote the author of what I shamelessly call the best Christian book ever written, Dane Ortland of Gentle and Lowly, he writes... The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply to open yourself up to him. It's all he needs. Indeed, it's the only thing he works with. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Now that last verse there in our passage where Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light is a deliberately ironic or, or contradictory turn of phrase. For those of you who don't know, a yoke is a big wooden bar with a couple of chains underneath. The idea is back in the day you want to plough up some ground and it's really hard to drag a plough over. So you get two really big strong animals like two ox, right? And they're going to pull your, your, your little mechanic plough along. But you don't want them to go in different directions. You want to sort of keep them together. And so you put this bar of wood behind their necks and put the chain underneath, right? That, that, that's what a yoke is. And uh, then they, you know, they, they're they stuck together and they're doing the work together. But um, by definition, a yoke is therefore something used for, for labour, for hard work. But when you're yoked with Jesus, to put it in modern youth speak, when you're tight with Jesus, so to speak... When you're walking his way, not walking off your own way, that yoke, ironically, is easy. It's, it's very unyoke-ish. You get spiritual rest when you are yoked. You don't work, you get rest. Um, a great illustration of this I heard was um, you, you, you throw a drowning person the, uh, the, the life ring and they're not going to say, oh, that's so burdensome for me to put on this life ring. Like, it, the, the whole point of putting it on is that it's, it's, it, it relieves you of burden. My yoke is easy, says Jesus. Now, we saw last week that refusing to repent rightly makes one liable to God's wrath on the day of judgment. The soul of the unrepentant uh, will have anything but rest. There will be no rest day and night for those who remain uh, in their rebellion against God, either through their active rebellion or just their passive, self-sufficient, I don't need God kind of rebellion. Those souls will not have any rest day or night. But because Jesus took upon himself the burden, the unimaginable burden of the judgment for sin that both you and I deserve, and because he endured God's righteous anger, as he suffered and died on the cross, 
He and he alone truly is able to offer rest for the soul. At his very heart, that's exactly what he wants to give. Come to me, take the light yoke, the easy burden, because I am gentle and lowly, I will give you rest for your souls. And so friends, if you are listening here or at home and you're not yet a follower of Jesus... Stop putting up with a restless soul that will one day become a tormented soul for all eternity. Come to Jesus instead. And don't say to yourself, I've got to get my life sorted out and then I'll come to Jesus. No, that's not how it works. You're weary and burdened. That's when you come to Jesus. Do it now. If you're thinking about it, either here or online, if you're thinking about coming to Jesus there's a very good chance it's because he, in his kindness, is right now choosing to reveal himself to you. How do you come to him? How do you do that? Well, as we saw last week, I mean, it's probably on the same page of your Bible, the earlier parts of the chapter. The people in the towns Jesus denounced were denounced because they failed to repent. And so the way you first come to Jesus is with repentance. You say to him, you can do it in your own head anytime, you say, thank you for your undeserved offer for me to find rest for my soul. I now turn, that is, I repent from living my own life, my own way. I want to be yoked with Jesus so that from now on I live his way, with Jesus as my Lord, with Jesus as my Saviour. If that's something you actually think you ought to be doing, for goodness sake, let me know. <laughs> let someone know. Put it in your, um, the, the QR thing and say, yeah, I, I, I want to become a follower of Jesus or I, I have become a follower of Jesus. That would be wonderful. If you're already someone who's yoked to Jesus, then his words here are an encouragement to unashamedly and continuously claim the benefits of his atoning work for yourself. I'll say that in another way. See, I know myself when I've disappointed God through sinful thought, word or deed. Often it's really hard for me to come back to God in repentance and prayers. Like, no, I have to like do a little bit better for a while first and then it'll be all right, you know, that kind of thing. Or if I think, you know, like I've really been poor in this area, like for years I, I just haven't done this or for years I have done this, well... I can't well, you know, like expect a, a good hearing from Jesus because, you know, like I've been doing the same stupid thing for a long time. You know, I can't really ask for, for help with that or forgiveness with that or, or something like that. It's like we, using our own way of operating, sort of ascribe to Jesus the characteristics that we would have in the way we relate to others. But you see... What goes on in our minds uh, needs to actually be shaped and mostly corrected by the Scriptures. And in the Scriptures, Jesus is so keen for all his followers, no matter how bad and how long their track record is, he's so keen for them to come to him in repentance. He, he's longing to give restoration. He's longing to apply his forgiveness yet again. Again, to quote my, uh, the author of my, my uh, all-time favourite Christian book, 
Mr. Ortland, here's what he says about this, uh, this idea. He says, it was the joyous anticipation of seeing his people made invincibly clean that sent Jesus through his arrest, death, burial, resurrection. When we today partake of that atoning work, coming to Christ for forgiveness, communing with him despite our sinfulness, we are laying hold of Christ's own deepest longing and joy. Our unbelieving hearts tread cautiously here. Is it not presumptuous audacity to draw on the mercy of Christ in an unfiltered way? Shouldn't we be measured and reasonable, careful not to pull too much on him? Would a father with a suffocating child want his child to draw on the oxygen tank in a measured and reasonable way? Our trouble here is that we do not take the scripture seriously when it speaks of us as Christ's body. Christ is the head, we're his own body parts. How does the head feel about his own flesh? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us he nourishes and cherishes it, Ephesians 5. And then Paul makes the explicit connection to Christ just as Christ nourishes the church because we are members of his body. How do we care for a wounded body part? We nurse it, bandage it, protect it, we give it time to heal. For that body part isn't just a close friend, it is part of us. So with Christ and believers, we are part of him. That is why the risen Christ asks a persecutor of his people, why are you persecuting me? Jesus Christ is comforted when you draw from the riches of his atoning work because his own body is getting healed. I'll say that last sentence again. Jesus Christ is comforted when you draw from the riches of his atoning work because his own body is getting healed. Contrary to our sinful expectations... The real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, is gentle and lowly in heart. He is profoundly approachable. And that goes for those who have known him five minutes or 50 years. Come to him continuously. Repent of your sins unashamedly and continuously. Beg his forgiveness knowing that he is longing to grant it continually. What a wonderful word of God he set before us in Matthew 11, verse 25 to 30. Let me conclude in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you greatly for your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his very heart is gentle and lowly, is thoroughly approachable, is delighted to have people come to him, is delighted to have the weary and burdened, the little children, come with all our problems, our sin, our sorrow to him both for the first time in repentance and faith or for the thousandth time in repentance and faith. Thank you that he delights to apply his atoning work on the cross to us, that we are forgiven and refreshed spiritually yet again and that we constantly find rest for our souls as we come to him. Father, I pray for anyone this morning to whom it might be your joy to reveal the truth of the gospel and that by the power of your spirit at work within them, you'll turn them in repentance to Jesus 
that they would come to him and find rest for their souls both now and into eternity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.